0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program.
1: For Paul to say I don't yet really know him well enough. If he didn't know him well enough after serving Christ for 30 or so years, I think we can make that our prayer too, that we might know Christ.
0: What are the chances of you writing your best and most inspiring letters while you're in prison it's not really the place you expect to have your best perspective or greatest inspiration is it but it was the apostle paul's situation when he wrote to the people in the church at colossae there was no whining or whinging either he had such an important message to share in a series of messages focusing on paul's prison epistles let's join dr corbett for paul's prison epistle part two colossians
1: All right, Father, we want to have your word look into our hearts and we want our minds to engage with your word so that we are transformed. Help us to see Christ, I pray, and may people as a result see Christ in us, I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey as we continue to look at the prison epistles of... The Apostle Paul, he wasn't the only one to write from prison, Um, Peter may have. But of the prison epistles, most of the epistles that Paul wrote were, were written while he was a prisoner. And so we're going to look at the next one, we looked at Philippians and we're going to look tonight at Colossians. And my hunch is that sometimes we're reading through the New Testament and we come to an epistle like Colossians and and same with Philippians. Philippians is the most positive epistle in the New Testament. There's not a complaint, there's not a a doctrinal conflict or anything like that that Paul is correcting. And it'd be easy to read this and think, gee, Paul's in a really good place. Gee, he's really happy and he talks about rejoicing, he talks about rejoicing to the Philippians and here we are talking to the Colossians and he's sounding incredibly upbeat, he's happy and this sounds really good and there's just one little clue in there which I'm going to point out and then I want like any preacher my mission tonight is to help you to understand what is being said because sometimes we can just think words tell us that and words don't always tell us that, we need context to tell us sometimes what people actually mean and what they say which is why for example texting people in a heated exchange or not a heated exchange or texting people then it becomes a heated exchange because they can't hear your heart is a really kind of unwise thing to do. Uh, I hope I'm not the only one that's experienced that because I think we need sometimes that face-to-face so we need to understand context and I hope tonight to give you some of the context for the epistle to the Colossians and in one sense I'm hoping that you go wow this really raises my opinion of the Apostle Paul because he's demonstrating incredible maturity and that's a word he's going to use and he's going to appeal to the Colossians to desire that and when you understand what he's going through it actually I think carries a lot more weight So this is strangely, as we we look at Colossians and we look at this as a a part of the prison epistles series, is called "When Circumstances." When Circumstances, and it's intentionally meant to sound like the beginning of a sentence, not a whole sentence, because sometimes we let our lives be shaped by the circumstances we're in, and to my shame, I do. and I want to grow as a person so that it's not circumstances that are shaping my life but something else. So I want to give you some of the background, if you've ever read through the book of Acts you will have come to the episode where Paul in Acts chapter 20, he's on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops on the shore of Turkey, not too far away from Ephesus, he doesn't go into Ephesus but he calls the Ephesian elders to come to the port and they come and he says this will be the last time you ever see me and they are very upset about this and prior to that Paul had been somewhere where a prophet by the name of Agabus had taken his belt off and tied it around him and knelt down and said "Thus to Paul in public, thus says the Holy Spirit this is how you're going to be treated and this is how you're going to be taken. And Paul's response is interesting when that happens because he says, I know. And the elders from the church at Ephesus say, well, if you know, then don't go to Jerusalem. If you know what awaits you there, don't go. And Paul says, I must. So he knows that it's going to get hairy. So when he goes to Jerusalem in, in Acts 21:22, James, the half-brother of Christ, says to him, If people see you, there will be a riot because even the Christians, even the Jewish Christians, think you are teaching against the law of Moses, let alone the Jews. They really think you're teaching against the law of Moses. So, this is what you're going to do take these guys with you. They've shaved their heads, which means that they've formed a vow to God. Paul had done that as well, so he was shaved. And. Go to the temple and pay the price for establishing a vow before God and do that and people will see that you're actually keeping a part of the Jewish law, the law of Moses. So he does that, he goes there and people see him and they they don't see who he's with but they assume that because earlier in the day he was traveling with some Gentiles, we know that when he came to Jerusalem it wasn't just to come to Jerusalem, he was actually coming to Jerusalem to give them an offering because they were in hard times. The famine had been severe, we read in Acts 11:38 that Agabus the prophet, the same prophet who told Paul that he would be mistreated in Jerusalem, also said... That a famine was coming on the land particularly severe for Jerusalem and so Paul everywhere he went said look I know that there's a hard time coming for Jerusalem, I'm taking up an offering and I'll take it back and so some of the representatives from the Gentile churches came with him, quite possibly he was seen in the streets of Jerusalem with these Gentiles and the result was that these people assumed that he was in the temple precinct with these Gentiles, which is not right, You're you're not supposed to do that. But he wasn't and so this mob formed a riot and we picked the story up in and I'll have it on the screen we picked the story up in Acts chapter 23 just to give you some background here when the dissension became violent the Tribune who's Caesar's representative in, in the army there afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them commanded the soldiers to go down and just to give you some context as well Uh, Jerry you've been to Jerusalem haven't you? Is there anything left of the Antonia Palace? There is. Okay so the Antonia Palace, I have not been to Jerusalem, but the Antonia Palace was actually built by the Romans and it's higher than the temple and it's where the Roman soldiers were stationed. And so when it says the soldiers came down, they came down from basically this watchtower, the Antonia Palace, named after Mark Antony, the Antonia Palace. And so, command the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So, they had the barracks up in, the, in that palace. Next verse. So, here's Paul. He's now taken into the barracks, he's held there. The following night, this is I think an important verse, I haven't got these letters in red because when the Bible was written they weren't written in red but our modern translators have this really cute thing of putting the words of Jesus in red. I don't know why. Um, And it says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify also in Rome. That's what Paul told... Luke, that's what he told Luke, I'm sure that Christ probably told Paul some other things too. So I guess the question could be who would like to have Christ appear to them, stand right beside you and speak directly to you, wouldn't that be awesome? My question would be when do you think you would need that most? Because that's when Paul needed it most. We go down to verse 33... And when they... so fill in the blanks between verse 11 that we just read and verse 33, this is where we read that Paul's sister lived in Jerusalem and it was his sister's son which makes that his nephew said he overheard some Jews, hardcore Jews, plotting to kill Paul when the Romans took him out of the barracks. And so he went and told his mum, his mum went and told her brother Paul, Paul told his sister to get his nephew to tell the commander what was happening and he said right thank you and so they come out of the barracks and they have a squadron or a troop of Roman soldiers around Paul so he's protected and they go up to Caesarea so there's a letter from the proconsul so when they had come to Caesarea and Caesarea was the Roman capital of Israel. Uh, Today I think um, the Australian government recognised Jerusalem or at least West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the Romans had a different capital as well for Israel and it was Caesarea Philippi. If you're reading in your Bible and please I know I'm probably giving you way too much information but if you get this it kind of helps you to understand what you're reading in the New Testament. There's two Caesareas As if it wasn't confusing enough. There's two Caesareas in Israel, one on the coast and one up north of Galilee. And I'll show you that in a moment. But it says, When they come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. So the governor, the representative of Rome, was not based in Jerusalem, he was based in Caesarea. So. Uh, here's a map to show you where all this works. I'm afraid I don't have one of those laser pointers, but I thought I'd put a great big dirty arrow up there so you'd see where Caesarea Philippi is. And can you see the other Caesarea halfway up the coast? So just in the the the, uh, the, the coast of Samaria. So just just to make sure you don't get it, that's a distinguished from Caesarea Philippi, which is up there. So. That's where Paul's taken. I've also put a yellow and red circle where Jerusalem is. So they've travelled. Can you see the the road? It's a bit of a hike to get up there and they've taken Paul up to the governor's residence. Now, how long was Paul held prisoner at Caesarea because, you know, he's actually done nothing wrong. He didn't cause the riot. He just stood there and they were writing, you know, and interestingly, When Paul says if I've done something wrong bring the witnesses to testify that I've done wrong and they can't bring any because the riot was actually caused by the people who were claiming Paul caused the riot. And so no witnesses can be produced. For how long? How long would someone be held here without any charges or or any any claim that they've actually done something wrong well the next verse in we're going to jump into Acts chapter 24 verse 27 it says this when two years had elapsed (laughs) when two years had elapsed Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus Felix was recalled by Caesar Nero managed to escape with his life because Caesar Nero uh, was going to execute him Felix's brother was a military leader and stepped in for him and saved his life. And he was replaced by an older man, Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favour, Felix left Paul in prison. Oh, great, thanks. So you got the idea. So during this time is when he was a prisoner in Caesarea Philippi, not being charged with anything. No witnesses can be produced to accuse him of anything. He redeems the time in fact, i don 't know if you've ever been confined in a place and found it to be incredibly productive anyone anyone ever experienced that? Anyone ever read a book on a plane <laughs> that you may not have read I had uh, Jeffrey Hill's not here tonight, but Jeffrey is not the world 's greatest reader by his own admission, but he went to Adelaide the other week and he read a book from cover to cover it's just Now I only say that because one of the things I'm really sensing the Lord speak to me for us as a church and for us as a church to speak to our community is this word redemption. Just take note of that Mr Harris, the word redemption. That God can take a negative situation and bring it around for good. That's what I mean by redemption. And sometimes the, the most painful times in our life God is actually ordaining, not just permitting, ordaining. (laughs) Not only for our good, but for God to use us for the good of others. So Colossians was one of those redemptive moments from this episode in Paul's life. So how long was he there? Well, we can tally up, what, three years so far in Caesarea. And in this time of imprisonment, I can't even tell you he's in prison under false charges. He's imprisoned under no charges. <laughs> but he's a prisoner. We read this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And look who's come just to hang with him. Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace From God, our Father. Now, does that expression "May you know God's peace" at this time does that mean anything different to you now that you know the circumstances Paul's in? (laughs) Here's a guy who's not just into the theory of peace. Now, to give you an idea of where Colossae is, it's a part of what we would call modern Turkey today. And again, I've put a, a yellow and a red thing, a red circle. So you can see it and it's a little bit of a topographical map that might, oh that TV's not on, but but it might be clearer if you can see the TVs to show the the topography here and just to kind of point out that uh, Ephesus is not too far away from the coast, it's a little bit inland and if we went up and came down and came back to Ephesus we'd form a triangle and that's the trade route of the seven churches of Revelation. And you might think, well how come... Colossae wasn't mentioned in the seven churches of Revelation. And bec- well, quite simply, because then there would be eight churches mentioned, and that's not the number that features throughout Revelation. Any other questions? So, so I find it interesting that in the letter to those seven churches, John is warning them all hell's, basically, if I can summarize, all hell's about to break loose. And he actually says, Antipas, the faithful servant, has already been killed as a martyr. And this is 65 AD when Revelation's written and all hell broke loose in 64 AD. I'm saying this to you so that when you get that this is written late 50s, this letter to the Colossians, and all hell is about to break loose in just a few years and many in the church at Colossae are going to be murdered. The religious word is martyred. So get this context of what's happening here, and we continue to to read where Paul says, We thank God. (laughs) We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And I'm I'm gonna kind of make this point about the way Paul prayed, having been unfairly imprisoned for at least three years that we can account for at this point. And here's my question. And I'm not going to tell you my answer to this question because I'm ashamed of what my answer is. But what would you be praying if you'd been in prison for at least two years, unfairly? Let me out, let me out, let me out. Yeah, that was that was what I wasn't prepared to say, because to my shame, that's about what my prayer would sound like too. What would you write to Christians if they said, Paul, is there anything we can pray for you about? Yeah. Get me out, get me out, get me out. <laughs> Can you contact the ACL and petition them? <laughs> Send me a cake with a file in it. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. And this is kind of the thing that I don't know if it encourages me or convicts me. Because Paul is more concerned about the cautions than he is for his own welfare. And if you recall in my final message looking at Paul uh, called a race run well... Paul knew how this was going to play out. He knew how this was going to play out. And he was still able to minister in writing. And he was able to fulfill the destiny that God had for him because Ananias from Damascus said to him, God has called you to speak to rulers and kings and people who are in high places. And this is exactly what he did from this prison in Caesarea because we read in chapter 24 that King Agrippa and his sister who many suspect were in an incestuous relationship together came to visit Festus and what would you say if you were the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Here's a king who's publicly it's the worst kept secret in town that he's he's not married he never married neither did she and they're living together and the rumor was that they were in this kind of relationship it'd be tempting wouldn't it to kind of unload on them but he doesn't and I don't want to digress off into that but I just want you to capture something of the mental well-being of Paul in what for me and Gordon would be mentally anguishing time. And so here's Paul and he goes on in, in verse 9, he says this and this is just, God help me to get there. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Hmm. And how does Paul think that can be achieved? He actually thinks that can be achieved and this now is just going to unpack the next four chapters. There's four chapters in Colossians and this I was wondering whether we should just start at verse 1 and just read the whole thing through because that's how it would have been read to the church we have I think the privilege now of being able to ponder it and think it through and and of course they would have read it and understood the context that I'm hopefully trying to give you now they would have known Paul was in prison they would have known the 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 distress that he must have you know had every reason to experience and so here we are separated by 2,000 years and we're trying to catch up a little bit so this is this is what he says about his prayer for the, the Colossians, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is really, if we could sum it up, is for them to know Christ, I've said more richly. Now, I'm going to say probably the same thing more deeply. More deeply. Now the Christian life is deepened by what you know and I don't just mean facts but if we can have a heart that's open and and hungry to know more about Christ there are certain facts that we can know about God, his word as revealed in Christ that becomes like a mirror to us James says in chapter 1. And this is what Paul is going to highlight to the Colossians, that he really wants them to know Christ. And this gives me a clue of what Paul was doing in his prison cell. Knowing Christ. Coming to know Christ. Jesus, I want to know you. I find his prayer that he reveals to the Philippians in in chapter 3 and verse 10, absolutely staggering. Paul, the one whose handkerchief healed the sick. Paul, the one... Who raised the dead Paul the one who was able to cast out demons publicly says toward the end of his life in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I might know him this is my prayer that I might know him and the power of his resurrection that I might know him for Paul to say I don't yet really know him well enough if he didn't know him well enough after serving Christ for 30 or so years, I think we can make that our prayer too. That we might know Christ. That we might know Christ more richly, more deeply, more sweetly. So that the very things that Christ exemplified as we read in Scripture and how he treated people, we begin to treat people like that. I had someone say to me... uh, some glowing words about Richard Branson and, and they said this um, the reason Richard Branson's company um, and he was focusing particularly on Virgin Airways the reason is you get on one of their planes their staff are so happy is because Richard Branson has this attitude that it's not the customer first it's staff first that's his attitude and they're making the point that he said if I treat my staff well my staff will, it'll flow down, my staff will treat customers well And I guess the the point maybe lost on my friend, if I can say this, is that second part of the statement. If I treat my staff well, my staff will treat my customers well. And there's there's a sense in which if you've ever been in a business, and unfortunately if you live in Tasmania, it's not hard to find these businesses, where you walk in as a customer and you seem to be an inconvenience. Are you still selling? (laughs) Have a few stuff like that. <laughs> Are you still in the shoe business? Yes. I actually find that bewildering. You know, I remember being here not long and I said, I went to get something off the shelf and it was gone. I, I went to the service desk and said, Oh, you're sold out of this. You're going to, oh, yeah, I suppose I'll order it. Oh. <laughs> so, what was what, that a problem? Oh, because it keeps selling out. <laughs> oh, it's such a hassle to order this. All right, for you, oh, and I'm thinking, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> But I thought business was meant to be, you know, like the whole idea was you sell stuff. Anyone else had those experiences? It's bizarre, just bizarre. And I guess we as Christians, if I can use this analogy that Jesus is to us like Richard Branson is to his staff, he treats us well. (laughs) He treats us well and didn't he kind of give that parable of the guy who was forgiven a you know, billion dollars and went out to someone who owed him $10 and Jesus made that point that if you know what I've done for you then you'll do that for others. It's a, I think it's a life-changing thing. And so Paul says, I want you to know the invisible God and he says this, that Jesus is the image In Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you this means, uh aha, Jesus was the first one that God, Jehovah created. But that's not what it means. That expression, firstborn of all creation, is the firstborn of the resurrection. The first one to enter into the resurrection, never to die again. And that's what Christ is. And so he goes on in verse sixteen. For by him all things were created. And this is the problem for Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, because they have to go, what? Where did that come from? And so, if you have a, a New World Translation of the Bible, which is the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they put a word in brackets in that verse. Anyone know what that word is? Other. other. For by him all other things were created because they believe Jesus was created but can you see how that verse verse 16 negates that it can't be for by him all things were created well he could hardly create himself if he wasn't around could he so Jesus is in Paul's mind which is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he is telling us who Jesus really is he is the creator the uncreated creator for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And come on, we got to get this. It's everything is for him. When you're selling shoes, Heidi, those shoes are for Jesus. Oh, I'm sure these are just you, madam. Will we just push a little bit tighter? We'll get them <laughs> on. <laughs> but serving that customer is for Jesus. The way you talk to the checkout, per- I was going to say checkout chick, we were served this morning when we bought the milk for morning tea and bought some some uh, snacks for morning tea. Uh, we were served by Anne. I, I try to take note of attendants' names. I had lunch this week with someone, and another pastor, and we were talking about just where we're going politically in the state and what we as pastors can do and and the young waitress came and served us and I, I saw her name Isabel and I thought I, I said Isabel um, have you f- just finished school she said yes yes finished yesterday oh great what are you gonna do now she said I'm, I'm going to university I'm going to do a business degree oh great which school did you go to she told me the school very exclusive private school I said your parents must be so proud and she said I hope so. And that was the tone too. Something like, oh, just so she knew that I heard what she said. And I'm only saying that because one of the things that strikes me about Christ is that he noticed people.
0: That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Paul's Prison Epistle Part 2 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, despite Paul being in prison, his concern was not for himself, but for the growth in faith of the Colossian Church. More from Dr. Corbett next week.